few weeks or months ago, they were in a horrible situation and jumped on a plane not knowing where everything was going to take them. And, and they were kind of putting themselves in, in our hands and trusting us to make sure that they were taken care of and their families were taken care of. Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. Your host today is Mr. Rob Bedreau. 1CA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with a partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. What were the things that we were looking at? They said stability and instability factors. We had some filters built into this so that we could see week over week or day over day, whatever time horizon we thought was appropriate. We could see clothing issues are on the rise or food issues are going down or medical care has spiked. And then we could dive in to the qualitative data behind that. Because quantitative data is great, right? It, t- it tells you what direction to look. Qualitative data is what really gives you that underlying story and helps you understand the nuance of the situation. Um, and, you know, for example, they, I'm going to give a, a hypothetical example. This is not something that happened. Staff Sergeant Schaefer, I'll, I'll jump in and, and take a crack at it. Sure. Major Johnson, would you like to chime in there? Yeah. One, one of the very first big items of concern was very reasonably apprehension in the guest population about not knowing where they were going after they left Fort McCoy. The policy had been to provide that information to the guests once it was confirmed, final, plane tickets are purchased and the guests are are departing. There was a lot of movement in the ticketing as connecting up families and, and individuals with support agencies across the country to get them resettled. That was just a, a really, really challenging problem for, for our Department of State and an NGO colleague to manage, and, and it would change a lot. If a family is initially slated to go to St. Paul, Minnesota, six weeks from now, that could change three or four times over the, the course of, of that six weeks. And what we realized was that that was the biggest concern of, of the guests, was where are we going after this? And so we were able to use that information to suggest leadership for OAW across the country to change the policy, that it's going to be a theme release valve for a lot of these folks, giving them something, give, giving them a, a piece of information that could change is actually better than, than waiting and waiting and waiting to give them the, the final word. So the task force leadership took that recommendation and approved the change. And so we, we wound up doing a, a basically camp-wide, you know, thousands of people coming in and having a meeting with resettlement specialists to get at least their tentative placement location so they can start looking at going on Google and and finding all about uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, or finding out all about Boise, Idaho, or, you know, Tampa, Florida, you know, wherever they were going. It was remarkable. The next week, that line of people who were concerned had anxiety about where they were going and what was going to happen to them totally fell off, just nosedived. It had been a significant portion of the population. This is their primary concern down to, it wasn't zero, but it was close to it. Doing the civil reconnaissance, advising the the leadership on a change to how we were doing our work, and then seeing the effects of that change in the in the data. 
it was really exciting. And I think was an indicator to us that we were doing good work. And so that's why I always harp on the importance of making sure that you build these systems in a way that can collect both types of data, qualitative and quantitative, so that you can really make sure that you're tailoring your solutions in an appropriate way, but then also have that confidence that you're solving the problems once you implement your intervention. I wanted, I wanted to give Staff Sergeant Schaefer another note of credit for putting together this tool for us. And one of the really special pieces was to, to make it not just a, a trend analyzing tool, but also a very rudimentary case management, case identification tool. We were not social workers, right? Civil affairs professionals are not social workers, but we're talking to these folks and we're, we're talking to many of them on, on a recurring basis. So our teams were making their way through the same group of living facilities, talking to the same families day in and day out over weeks at a time. And what ended up happening was that over the course of those conversations, yes, we're there to provide context and picture of the civilian population as a whole for the commander and for the federal coordinating official, but we're also just running into people with people problems. And because of the relationships that our soldiers and Marines were able to develop with the guests in the camp, sometimes we were identifying people problems that they were uncomfortable bringing up through other you know, established touch points. So we had guest services throughout the camp who were, who were there to help connect guests with the services that we had available. But what we wound up being is, is sort of a backstop, maybe kind of a a secondary touch point for the the leadership to communicate with the guests and, and identify specific problems. And so we were able to to build into the the civil information management tool, not just a method to capture trends over time, but also just to say this family in this barracks is having a problem. And so can we work with our colleagues across the task force to connect them up? 100%, we are not social workers, we are not caseworkers. Um, but what we found was incidental to our role doing civil reconnaissance for the task force, we're coming across these personal, individual, one-off issues. And we felt that it was necessary, as much just ethically as anything else, to make sure that that need was, was identified and, and communicated to the proper agency within the task force to, to leverage. The purpose of our civil reconnaissance, the purpose of our civil information management was to give the, the leadership a, a picture of the civil information environment. But Staff Sergeant Schaefer's creativity in building out the tool meant that apart from just that quantitative level of analysis, we were also able to capture granular personal details and tee them up for action in a way that, that wound up being a little bit of a safety net sometimes for the rest of our teammates across the task force. And but it wound up doing a lot of good for our relationships with the guests, but also just you know contributing to to the work that we were doing in the task force. At, at the end of the day, if we if we see somebody who's got a problem and we we can help them get connected with the person who can fix it for them very easily, and because of Staff Sergeant Schaefer's work, we were able to do that. Absolutely, that's fascinating. And uh... sorry to interrupt. Can I add one thing to that? Okay. So the thing that Major Johnson was talking about just now with serving as a backstop, one thing that was really important to me was to minimize friction and burden on the teams and on the team leaders. And I made sure to set this system up in a way 
where the data is, I don't want to say passively collected, right? You know, the reporters are submitting the reports and a lot of the analysis is very automated, but I was pushing reports out to the team leads on a daily basis with all of the issues that they had that still required follow-up. And I think that the concept of push information versus pull information, by defaulting to push information to keep them updated, it was one less thing that the team leaders had to juggle with the 10,000 other things they're doing and managing their teams. And so it served as a backstop, but it also reduced the, the mental burden on the team leads because they knew that every day they would get this report that would help them very quickly and succinctly drive action in their communities. That's terrific. So thinking about the amount of thought and care your teams were putting into to make sure that not only were folks getting a, a good transition from the camps, but that they would have success in their, they were ultimately placed, that ultimate outcome was beneficial to them. Uh, Stefan Schaefer, what other thoughts do you have on uh, performance indicators? Actually, building on what Major Johnson just said, we saw the issues with resettlement concerns and anxiety nosedive after, shortly after that event. But we also noticed that a lot of the other instability factors that we would see show up in the data, they were trailing downward as well, not as sharply as that. And it was weird because none of them seemed related. And so because we had this ability to see data in near real time, I noticed that after about two to three days, I was able to arm our teams and have them ask people that, that were saying, you know, that used to have all of these issues, what, why is everything so much better suddenly? And what it turned out was that not only had we relieved these people of a lot of anxiety and concerns over when they were going to be resettled, but that anxiety was causing them to see all of the problems that were everywhere else in their life. So once that this had been uh, lifted off their shoulders, so to speak, everything else about their lives just seemed a little bit better. And so it seemed very highly effective, not just in relieving that one concern, but relieving a multitude of concerns across the camp. And then along with that, in terms of measuring performance, the way that this system was built, you can probably envision this pretty easily because we're able to automate so much other data we were also able to automate things like how many reports were being submitted by team or by Marine or soldier on an individual level. We were able to see how long it was taking teams to follow up on the issues that they were identifying in the case management system that Major Johnson mentioned. Uh, there, there were a lot of ways that we were able to very quickly see you know, what kind of performance are we getting out of our teams. And then to the measures of effectiveness, right? looking at how effective our interventions were in the community, talked about the trend line earlier and how we were able to see things moving over time. That was really helpful. Um, but, but then also the, the case management system, we were collecting qualitative data in those reports on what the outcome was. And so that's not nearly as automated. You need to read through and kind of think critically about what the problem was. But we were able to see a lot of information related to how the guests received that intervention or solution and the kind of praise that they were giving our teams. You know, it went from, we were kind of a, an item of curiosity at first, right? Being the only Marines at, at Fort McCoy. And after several weeks, I was seeing things show up in the data about, we're so glad that the Marines are here. And that's not to say that the Army wasn't doing a great job. It's just, you know, different uniform or we're really easy for them to call out. But seeing these things show up in the data, 
helped kind of reinforce the idea that our teams weren't just going through the motions and doing what they were told to do, but they were taking a lot of initiative and putting a lot of thought into how they can help improve the lives of these people. If we can pause there for a moment and uh, think about the SIM tools that you were employing, it sounds like you've found a way to distill massive amounts of data into usable information to really drive decision-making. What from those tools do you think is useful for other operations? So the tool that we were using to collect information is an application through PICS, the Protected Information Exchange. Uh, Some civil affairs professionals may be familiar with it. The specific app is called MAGE, Mobile Awareness Geoint Environment. Um, It is DOD approved, and you only have to have a .gov email to get access to it, which makes it great for working across the interagency landscape. I've worked with Army civil affairs professionals before, and they've used it. I know Marine civil affairs professionals that have used it. And so especially if you were in an environment where maybe you don't know who's coming to replace you or who you're going to have to hand this project off to next, Mage is great for that because, again, you can customize your projects, you can add or pull people away from it as you see fit, you can make it open-ended, close-ended. There's lots of options that you have. And then on top of that, PIX has a dedicated help desk. So even though I might have been up at 2 in the morning with a question, I could send an email off to the PIX help desk, and they were usually very fast to respond, almost always within 24 hours of my question. And the question would typically be, you know, hey, I see this feature, but I can't figure out how to use it. They would get right back to me or hop on the phone with me and walk me through exactly what I needed to do. So in terms of collecting the information, Mage was an an excellent tool for us. And then taking the data out of Mage, I mentioned Microsoft Excel earlier, being able to build a customized dashboard, that was hugely important. And like I mentioned earlier, I didn't know how to do a lot of the things that I did. I just kind of knew what Excel was capable of and then watched, hate to say it, watched some YouTube videos and did some Googling to figure out how to actually build these formulas. And and from there, tweak it a little bit and it worked great for us. And so I I would say that in terms of the specific tools that were being used, Mage through PIX and then also Microsoft Excel, it, it was a pretty simple system, but it worked. And so how can professionals use that in future operations? PIX allows you to create kind of a wiki style page where you can host a lot more than just some of the automated data that I was talking about pulling through this. And so you can build products, you can you know, post just about anything you want to a site that you can create, a uh, great place to store and share information. Maybe you're building products that need to be passed along to the next team, and you're not sure if there'll be Army or Marine Corps or a State Department, right? Whoever it might be, a uh, great place to store and share information. And then Microsoft Excel You know, I've seen many enlisted and officers alike struggle with managing just information. I won't even call it data, right? For example, I've seen PSYOPs, Marines, that were trying to gauge not just how many messages they were sending out or the types of environments they were trying to influence, but also data on how they could gauge the effectiveness of their messaging. I took a look at their spreadsheet they were using. It was very manual and was taking them a lot of time just to organize and understand the data. And I showed them in about 15 minutes how they could use uh, pivot tables and filters to take almost no time compared to what they were doing. And, And that was hugely beneficial for them and allowed them to really understand 
how the environment was reacting to their messages after that. And so I would recommend introductory and maybe intermediate level Excel classes can pay dividends in terms of your ability to understand and manipulate data for your operations. That's terrific. And uh, you're bringing up things that a lot of our folks that haven't otherwise uh, had experience working with those tools. Uh, I think a civilian career has uh, obviously assisted you in uh, preparing you to be able to use those. Major Johnson, uh, anything to add? OAW was a weird deal in so many respects. One of them was the the nature of the of the civil information environment that we were working in. Here, we've got a huge amount of resources dedicated to staying engaged with and caring for what is essentially a set group of people in a very small uh, geographic location, you know, one, one army base. And so we were able to, I think, compress a lot of the procedures. And so we were able to get into a cycle of civil reconnaissance, action, assessment, and then reaction. I think it would be challenging to do that. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about the experience of past guest of the of the 1CA podcast, Major Rob Boudreau, his experience on the 31st Mew on its uh, patrol out in the Western Pacific, right? There, where, where you're getting off the ship and you're going ashore and, and working with a civilian community, that it may be years before another Marine comes back and works in that community again. That's a much more challenging environment to apply this kind of methodology just because of the time and space challenges involved. What occurs to me is is just how important having some common repository available to to civil affairs practitioners who are operating in the same theater over time and over space. If it's you, Rob, getting off the boat in the Philippines and being able to go ashore and meet with the the local civilian government leadership or, or civil society leadership, Super helpful if you can do a similar project to what we did, you know, talking to the folks, you know, identifying concerns and then lining that up with data. It may be years old, but having that similar methodology just stretched out over for months and years of time, that to me is is kind of the the application of our method to a, a less unicorn, a less black swan environment. It's easy for me to say, not working in the civil affairs branch at U.S. Indo-PACOM headquarters, but that to me is the is the thing to to be on the lookout for. If if I'm a tactical civil affairs professional deploying on an operation like that, if I want to replicate the kind of success that we had at Fort McCoy, it's going to really be contingent on reaching out to see the work that was done by civil affairs professionals before me sometimes months or years before me, but then also documenting and recording the the state of play in the civil information environment at the time that I'm there in order to, to set the guy who comes after me up for success months or years down the road. Good stuff. Well, uh, every good Marine Corps conversation must end with an opportunity for safe rounds. So uh, Staff Sergeant Schaefer, what are some of the personal memories that you're going to take from this mobilization? For me, I deployed to Afghanistan in infantry capacity as, as an infantryman in 2013. And the, I think that just the ability to be able to help, you know, this many Afghan evacuees, having seen Afghanistan firsthand almost 10 years earlier, it really was kind of a, a full circle moment for me to to be able to see these people and know that we're getting them to safety and that we're 
putting measures in place to help set them up for success as they start their new lives in America. One thing that I'll always be grateful for was actually when we were at Quantico putting together a little bit of an employment support center because everyone knew that they were going to get resettled, but really worried about being able to find work. And so, you know, put together uh, some computers in an NGO space with a Wi-Fi connection. And we'd sit down with people one-on-one several hours a day and help them crank out resumes, teach them, you know, how do you search for a job on Indeed or anywhere else on the internet? And by the time that we, we left Quantico to go to Fort McCoy, I think we already had about a dozen or so people that had job offers accepted before they were actually resettled to their new homes. And just knowing that we were able to put these people ahead of the curve in terms of how long it would have taken them to find employment once they got resettled, that for me is a, a really good feeling that I always, always remember. It sounds like you got to see a lot of closure on a mission being their first hand in Fort McCoy that a lot of your brothers and sisters in arms never really got to see personally. So that's terrific. Thank you. Major Johnson, bringing us home. First of all, just to say what a privilege and an honor it was to to work with the leadership at, at Task Force McCoy, civilian DOD. And on top of that is to thank the the good work of the, the Marines and soldiers that, that I was working with. Staff Sergeant Schaefer among them, of course, but I think it ended up being more than 30 soldiers, Marines, civilians working on our civil affairs detachment minus reinforced. It would have been ugly on the org chart, but we worked very well together and really rose to the challenge. And the last thing I want to kind of leave in the mind of the of the listeners is really that the story of our country's relationship with Afghanistan didn't end when the 82nd Airborne commander walked up the ramp of a C-17 and and flew out of Kabul in, in August of, of 2021. There were something like 80 or 85,000 Afghan evacuees who wound up here in the United States. And that was a big challenge. How do we keep the faith with these people? How do we help these folks out who, who many of them spent years of their life standing alongside our brothers and sisters in arms, putting themselves in the harm's way to achieve the goals that, that we were working towards during 20 years in Afghanistan? Again, above and beyond just keeping faith with, with our Afghan guests, I felt and, and I think that we as a, as a team felt that we had a, a duty to honor the work that thousands of women and men had done in Afghanistan, thousands of Americans had done there during the war. And in a particular way, felt it was necessary to honor the sacrifice of the, the Marines and the sailor and the soldier who died at, at Abbey Gate. Most directly, that sacrifice was made to help these people start a new life in America. It was terrifically motivating and humbling to have that heritage in mind as we were taking the baton from our brothers in arms who had done the work of the evacuation. We honor the the work that was done by those who went before us. We talk about standing on the shoulders of giants. We felt that in a major way. And I, I'm really, really proud to say that I think that the work that we did was was good. Beyond any measures of performance or measures of effectiveness, I think about, you know, a little English class full of fourth, fifth, and sixth grade girls who were answering the question to practice their English, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they were right there with, you know, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an airline pilot. One of them said, I want to be a U.S. Army soldier, which broke my Marine Corps heart a little bit. But my my patriotic heart was was really, really proud to to see that and hear that. And it gave me a lot of hope for, for these people. And, and and it makes me excited to to think of what where these these people are going to go in, in the rest of their lives as Americans. 
that's really what I want to land on is, is just the sense of gratitude and the pride that I have in the work that we did to, to help these people and to, and to write our, our little footnote in the, in the book. So thank you very much for a chance to talk with you, Rob. We're, we're really, really thankful for this opportunity. Absolutely. Well, you made your nation proud and you did right by the Marine Corps. And uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Semper Fidelis. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. I'll have the email and CA Association website in the show notes. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. Stay tuned for more great episodes. 1CA Podcast.